Chapter One, Part Two of the Prairie Traveller. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Prairie Traveller by Randolph B. Marcy. Chapter One, Part Two. Stores and provisions. How packed. Desiccated and canned vegetables. Pemmican. Antiscorbutics. Cold flour. Substitutes in case of necessity. Amount of supplies. Clothing. Camp equipage. Arms. Stores and provisions. Supplies for a march should be put up in the most secure, compact, and portable shape. Bacon should be packed in strong sacks of a hundred pounds to each, or in very hot climates put in boxes and surrounded with bran, which in a great measure prevents the fat from melting away. If pork be used, in order to avoid transporting about forty per cent of useless weight, it should be taken out of the barrels and packed like bacon, then so placed in the bottom of the wagons as to keep it cool. The pork, if well cured, will keep several months in this way, but bacon is preferable. Flour should be packed in stout double canvas sacks well sewed, a hundred pounds in each sack. Butter may be preserved by boiling it thoroughly and skimming off the scum as it rises to the top until it is quite clear like oil. It is then placed in tin canisters and soldered up. This mode of preserving butter has been adopted in the hot climate of southern Texas, and it is found to keep sweet for a great length of time, and its flavor is but little impaired by the process. Sugar may be well secured in India rubber or gutta percha sacks, or so placed in the wagon as not to risk getting wet. Desiccated or dried vegetables are almost equal to the fresh, and are put up in such a compact and portable form as easily to be transported over the plains. They have been extensively used in the Crimean War, and by our own army in Utah, and have been very generally approved. They are prepared by cutting the fresh vegetables into thin slices, and subjecting them to a very powerful press, which removes the juice and leaves a solid cake, which, after having been thoroughly dried in an oven, becomes almost as hard as a rock. A small piece of this, about half the size of a man's hand, when boiled, swells up so as to fill a vegetable dish, and is sufficient for four men. It is believed that the antiscorbutic properties of vegetables are not impaired by desiccation, and they will keep for years if not exposed to dampness. Canned vegetables are very good for campaigning, but are not so portable as when put up in the other form. The desiccated vegetables used in our army have been prepared by Chollet and Company, 46 Rue Richet, Paris. There is an agency for them in New York. I regard these compressed vegetables as the best preparation for prairie traveling that has yet been discovered. A single ration weighs, before being boiled, only an ounce, and a cubic yard contains 16,000 rations. In making up their outfit for the plains, men are very prone to overload their teams with a great variety of useless articles. It is a good rule to carry nothing more than is absolutely necessary for use upon the journey. One cannot expect, with the limited allowance of transportation that immigrants usually have, to indulge in luxuries upon such expeditions, and articles for use in California can be purchased there at less cost than that of overland transport. The allowance of provisions for men in marching should be much greater than when they take no exercise. The army ration I have always found insufficient for soldiers who perform hard service, yet it is ample for them when in quarters. The following table shows the amount of subsistence consumed per day by each man of Dr. Ray's party in his spring journey to the Arctic regions of North America in 1854. Pemmican, 1.25 pounds. Biscuit, 0.25 pounds. Edwards preserved potatoes, 0.1 pound. Flour, 0.33 pound. Tea, 0.03 pound. Sugar, 0.14 pound. Grease or alcohol for cooking, 0.25 pound. Total, 2.35 pounds. This allowance of little over two pounds of the most nutritious food was found barely sufficient to subsist the men in that cold climate. The pemmican, 
which constitutes almost the entire diet of the fur company's men in the northwest is prepared as follows the buffalo meat is cut into thin flakes and hung up to dry in the sun or before a slow fire it is then pounded between two stones and reduced to a powder this powder is placed in a bag of the animal's hide with the hair on the outside melted grease is then poured into it and the bag sewn up it can be eaten raw and many prefer it so mixed with a little flour and boiled it is a very wholesome and exceedingly nutritious food and will keep fresh for a long time i would advise all persons who travel for any considerable time through a country where they can procure no vegetables to carry with them some antiscorbutics and if they cannot transport desiccated or canned vegetables citric acid answers a good purpose and is very portable when mixed with sugar and water with a few drops of the essence of lemon it is difficult to distinguish from lemonade wild onions are excellent as antiscorbutics also wild grapes and greens an infusion of hemlock leaves is also said to be an antidote to scurvy the most portable and simple preparation of subsistence that i know of and which is used extensively by the mexicans and indians is called cold flour it is made by parching corn and pounding it in a mortar to the consistency of coarse meal a little sugar and cinnamon added makes it quite palatable when the traveller becomes hungry or thirsty a little of the flour is mixed with water and drunk it is an excellent article for a traveller who desires to go the greatest length of time upon the smallest amount of transportation it is said that half a bushel is sufficient to subsist a man thirty days persons undergoing severe labour and driven to great extremities for food will derive sustenance from various sources that would never occur to them under ordinary circumstances in passing over the rocky mountains during the winter of eighteen fifty seven fifty eight our supplies of provisions were entirely consumed eighteen days before reaching the first settlements in new mexico and we were obliged to resort to a variety of expedients to supply the deficiency our poor mules were fast failing and dropping down from exhaustion in the deep snows and our only dependence for the means of sustaining life was upon these starved animals as they became unserviceable and could go no farther we had no salt sugar coffee or tobacco which at a time when men are performing the severest labour that the human system is capable of enduring was a great privation in this destitute condition we found a substitute for tobacco in the bark of the red willow which grows upon many of the mountain streams in that vicinity the outer bark is first removed with a knife after which the inner bark is scraped up into ridges around the sticks and held in the fire until it is thoroughly roasted when it is taken off the stick pulverized in the hand and is ready for smoking it has the narcotic properties of the tobacco and is quite agreeable to the taste and smell the sumac leaf is also used by the indians in the same way and has a similar taste to the willow bark a decoction of the dried wild or horse mint which we found abundant under the snow was quite palatable and answered instead of coffee it dries up in that climate but does not lose its flavour we suffered greatly for the want of salt but by burning the outside of our mule stakes and sprinkling a little gunpowder upon them it did not require a very extensive stretch of the imagination to fancy the presence of both salt and pepper we tried the meat of horse colt and mules all of which were in a starved condition and of course not very tender juicy or nutritious we consumed the enormous amount of from five or six pounds of this meat per man daily but continued to grow weak and thin until at the expiration of twelve days we were able to perform but little labor and were continually craving for fat meat the allowance of provisions for each grown person to make the journey from the missouri river to california should suffice for a hundred and ten days the following is deemed requisite one hundred fifty pounds of flour or its equivalent in hard bread twenty five pounds of bacon or pork and enough fresh beef to be driven on the hoof to make up the meat component of the ration fifteen pounds of coffee and twenty-five pounds of sugar also a quantity of saleratus or yeast powders for making bread and salt and pepper 
these are the chief articles of subsistence necessary for the trip and they should be used with economy reserving a good portion for the western half of the journey heretofore many of the california immigrants have improvidently exhausted their stock of provisions before reaching their journey's end and have in many cases been obliged to pay the most exorbitant prices in making up the deficiency it is true that if persons choose to pass through salt lake city and the mormons happen to be in an amiable mood supplies may sometimes be procured from them but those who have visited them well know how little reliance is to be placed upon their hospitality or spirit of accommodation i once travelled with a party of new yorkers en route for california they were perfectly ignorant of everything relating to this kind of campaigning and had overloaded their wagon with almost everything except the very articles most important and necessary the consequence was that they exhausted their team and were obliged to throw away the greater part of their loading they soon learned that champagne east india sweetmeats olives etc etc were not the most useful articles for a prairie tour clothing a suitable dress for prairie travelling is of great import to health and comfort cotton or linen fabrics do not sufficiently protect the body against the direct rays of the sun at midday nor against rains or sudden changes of temperature wool being a non-conductor is the best material for this mode of locomotion and should always be adopted for the plains the coat should be short and stout the shirt of red or blue flannel such as can be found in almost all the shops on the frontier this in warm weather answers for an outside garment the pants should be of thick and soft woolen material and it is well to have them reinforced on the inside where they come in contact with the saddle with soft buckskin which makes them more durable and comfortable woolen socks and stout boots coming up well at the knees and made large so as to admit the pants will be found the best for horsemen and they guard against rattlesnake bites in travelling through deep snow during very cold weather in winter moccasins are preferable to boots or shoes as being more pliable and allowing a freer circulation of the blood in crossing the rocky mountains in the winter the weather being intensely cold i wore two pairs of woolen socks and a square piece of thick blanket sufficient to cover the feet and ankles over which were drawn a pair of thick buckskin moccasins and the whole enveloped in a pair of buffalo skin boots with the hair inside made open in the front and tied with buckskin strings at the same time i wore a pair of elk skin pants which most effectually prevented the air from penetrating to the skin and made an excellent defence against brush and thorns my men who were dressed in the regulation clothing wore out their pants and shoes before we reached the summit of the mountains and many of them had their feet badly frozen in consequence they mended their shoes with pieces of leather cut from the saddle skirts as long as they lasted and when this material was gone they covered the entire shoe with green beeve or mule hide drawn together and sewed upon the top with the hair inside which protected the upper as well as the sole leather the sewing was done with an awl and buckskin strings these simple expedients contributed greatly to the comforts of the party and indeed i am by no means sure that they did not in our straitened condition without the transportation necessary for carrying disabled men save the lives of some of them without the awl and buckskins we should have been unable to have repaired the shoes they should never be forgotten in making up the outfit for a prairie expedition we also experienced great inconvenience and pain by the reflection of the sun's rays from the snow upon our eyes and some of the party became nearly snow-blind green or blue glasses enclosed in a wire network are an effectual protection to the eyes but in the absence of these the skin around the eyes and upon the nose should be blackened with wet powder or charcoal which will afford great relief in the summer season shoes are much better for footmen than boots as they are lighter and do not cramp the ankles the soles should be broad so as to allow a square firm tread without distorting or pinching the feet the following list of articles is deemed a sufficient outfit for one man upon a three months expedition 
two blue or red flannel overshirts open in front with buttons two woolen undershirts two pairs thick cotton drawers four pairs woolen socks two pairs cotton socks four colored silk handkerchiefs two pairs stout shoes for footmen one pair boots for horsemen one pair shoes for horsemen three towels one gutta percha poncho one broad-brimmed hat of soft felt one comb and brush two toothbrushes one pound castile soap three pounds bar soap for washing clothes one belt knife and small whetstone stout linen thread large needles a bit of beeswax a few buttons paper of pins and a thimble all contained in a small buckskin or stout cloth bag the foregoing articles with the coat and overcoat complete the wardrobe camp equipage the bedding for each person should consist of two blankets a comforter and a pillow and a gutta percha or painted canvas cloth to spread beneath the bed upon the ground and to contain it when rolled up for transportation every mess of six or eight persons will require a wrought-iron camp kettle large enough for boiling meat and making soup a coffee-pot and cups of heavy tin with the handles riveted on tin plates frying and baked pans of wrought-iron the latter for baking bread and roasting coffee also a mess-pan of heavy tin or wrought-iron for mixing bread and other culinary purposes knives forks and spoons an extra camp kettle tin or gutta-percha bucket for water wood being liable to shrink and fall to pieces is not deemed suitable an axe hatchet and spade will also be needed with a mallet for driving picket pins matches should be carried in bottles and corked tight so as to exclude the moisture a little blue mass quinine opium and some cathartic medicine put up in doses for adults will suffice for the medicine chest each ox-wagon should be provided with a covered tar-bucket filled with a mixture of tar or resin and grease two bows extra six s's and six open links for repairing chains every set of six wagons should have a tongue coupling pole king bolt and a pair of hounds extra every set of six mule wagons should be furnished with five pairs of hames two double trees four whipple trees and two pairs of lead bars extra two lariats will be needed for every horse and mule as one generally wears out before reaching the end of a long journey they will be found useful in crossing deep streams and in letting wagons down steep hills and mountains also in repairing broken wagons lariats made of hemp are the best one of the most indispensable articles to the outfit of the prairie traveller is buckskin for repairing harness saddles bridles and numerous other purposes of daily necessity the awl and buckskin will be found in constant requisition arms every man who goes into indian country should be armed with a rifle and revolver and he should never either in camp or out of it lose sight of them when not on the march they should be placed in such a position that they can be seized at an instant's warning and when moving about outside the camp the revolver should invariably be worn in the belt as the person does not know at what moment he may have use for it a great diversity of opinion obtains regarding the kind of rifle that is the most efficient and best adapted to indian warfare and the question is perhaps as yet very far from being settled to the satisfaction of all a large majority of men prefer the breech-loading arm but there are those who still adhere tenaciously to the old-fashioned muzzle-loading rifle as preferable to any of the modern inventions among these may be mentioned the border hunters and mountaineers who cannot be persuaded to use any other than the hawkins rifle for the reason that they know nothing about the merits of any other my own experience has forced me to the conclusion that the breech-loading arm possesses greater advantages over the muzzle-loading for the reason that it can be charged and fired with much greater rapidity colt's revolving pistol is very generally admitted both in europe and america to be the most efficient arm of its kind known at the present day as the same principles are involved in the fabrication of his breech-loading rifle as are found in the pistol 
the conviction to me is irresistible that if one arm is worthy of consideration the other is equally so for my own part i look upon colt's new patent rifle as a most excellent arm for border service it gives six shots in more rapid succession than any other rifle i know of and these if properly expended are oftentimes sufficient to decide a contest moreover it is the most reliable and certain weapon to fire that i have ever used and i cannot resist the force of my conviction that if i were alone upon the prairies and expected an attack from a body of indians i am not acquainted with any arms i would as soon have in my hands as this the army and navy revolvers have both been used in our army but the officers are not united in opinion in regard to their relative merits i prefer the large army size for reasons which will be given hereafter End of chapter one part two